0: You can come in now, Mr. McBride. (laughs) Everyone, I want you to give Mr. McBride your full attention.
1: I am here to speak about trains. The first real train in this country was built by Peter Cooper in 1829. Does anyone know what it was called? It was called the
0: Tom Thumb. Since that time, trains have helped make this country what it is today.
1: A long time ago, most people never left their towns because travel was hard. Uh, Yes?
0: How tall are you? Jacob.
1: I'm, I'm four feet and five inches tall.
0: I'm taller than you. Jacob, come with me. Welcome to Trilogy in Theory, my name is Webb and this is my co-host Mike. For our next film, we discuss the Academy Award winning director Tom McCarthy's directorial debut, the 2003 feature The Station Agent, which has been a favorite of mine for some time and I was thrilled to learn that you also dig it just as much and boy, this is some good stuff, and I feel bad for the people who find it and discover that it's not moving at the breakneck pace that maybe they're used to in, in today's uh, cinema, but I love all of those quiet moments. What about yourself? I came
1: to this one pretty uh, quickly. Now, I didn't see it theatrically. I don't, I don't know if it came to my neck of the woods. Discovered it fairly early on. Um, God, probably in the like video store days, renting it from like a Hollywood video or something of that nature. Pretty sure I bought my copy from a a Hollywood video that was, you know, closing down for, for obvious reasons. I watched it enough repeatedly that uh, the girl I was dating at the time was like God damn, you watch the station agent an awful lot. Like it's a weird one the weird one in the rotation. And here's the uh the up of that story. When we broke up, she took my copy of the station agent. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that was like a you know, you need to, to grow up or whatever. Uh little did she know that I I would find uh another one. I'm pretty sure I got another one. uh a half fresh Books. Actually, I have two, Webb. I don't know if I live in fear that my wife's going to divorce me and take my copy, so I have to hide <laughs> one. But yes, this film, <laughs> uh, for those reasons, uh, it's deeply personal. I you know, obviously cannot um, get into the particular headspace of our main character, uh, Finn. But, I mean, you know me. You know I come from a small town, so I like movies that sort of highlight... The reality of that without it being like um, New York executive comes back to a small town like Sweet Home Alabama. Like I could go back to the the sticks to get divorced. I can go back and work for the magazine. The fact that you do have, I guess, one of those characters uh, that (laughs) runs a a food truck that sort of laments there's not a lot going on. He's so positive here. Uh, Joe is just like he's not lamenting that the town sucks. He's just like yeah there's not a lot to do, so we need to find people. We need to form a tribe, and we can make this- like there's just so many little touches that I love about this like sort of slice of life you know and some people may look at it as too small and too quaint. I never did though i've I've always been in the corner of the station agent and it's it's
0: caused me much much strife apparently in my romantic life. <laughs> The thing is, you need that film's pacing, and you need the way this slice of life kind of comes together, in order to have the characters like Joe and Olivia. You know, you're kind of watching this film through the point of view of Finn, and so he's got that hardened exterior, and so the that slow burn pace is what allows Joe and Olivia to ultimately penetrate that exterior, and that's what makes the film so engrossing. Throughout it all. I feel like if you're if you're not with it, you're gonna miss out on a lot of the humor and and the charm. Like Joe's positivity that you mentioned, it's so endearing. Like there's a scene I think maybe the third or fourth meeting where uh, Finn exits his uh, little train depot that he's inherited, and he doesn't see Joe right away, and Joe comes around. He's like, "Oh, I know, I know, I'm late," and. and Finn has no expectation of him to be there on time or what the timings are, but stuff like that really makes me just just well up with emotion. I love films where an obscure or, or a niche hobby brings people together. I think of stuff like... Uh, maybe American Splendor or or Sideways, where you've got um, wow, two Giamatti films, where you've got and win win maybe. Who knows? I, look, it's on the record
1: on this podcast that apparently he is your cinematic alter ego, which my wife finds <laughs> endearingly strange <laughs> that you see yourself in him. One day we'll do The Lady in the Water on, the, on this on this podcast, and we'll really push that to its limits.
0: Oh man, I could get into Lady in the Water. It's just one of the few films I've seen multiple times in the theaters, and we'll we'll <laughs> we'll oh, traverse really? those waters. Yeah, yeah. I was really in love with it when it first came out, and then the more I thought about it, the more uh, uh, stomach turning that film became. But it produced one of the, the that's best story for another time behind
1: the scenes books, and uh, if, if you're into like how did this get made type material, not not in that snarky way. Uh, there's a book where uh, M Knight allowed of journalists to follow uh him from the inception of the project through the the entire filming and marketing and his fallout with with Disney because of it uh it's called the man who heard voices it's a great book on filmmaking if you want, which unfortunately for filmmakers usually the best ones are about <laughs> disasters there's the one on uh heaven's Gate um I forget the name of that that particular book, but there's one called the Devil's Candy, which was also excellent on the Bonfire of the vanities so a shout-out to De Palma, who's a tit favorite. Station Asia, unfortunately, was not financially big enough to, I don't think, ever be considered a disaster. No matter how it turned out, uh, these type of things. <laughs> no. Um, the do you, fact that it got made is a miracle, well, in my opinion. Here's a cynical question for you. I know you've got a lot of notes, but I don't think this film has ever gotten the love that it deserved. Maybe initially it got you know good reviews, but – You know, post Game of Thrones, I don't think that there's been any sort of revisiting of the Station Agent, which I find very unfortunate because Dinklage did go on to be in this huge pop culture sensation. And for my money, and probably yours, I think this is his best best role and you know best film that he's been involved with. And I I don't ever hear this being brought up, you know, post Game of Thrones or even during it. So that that makes me very sad for the Station Agent, but it made it readily available for me to. To find another copy to, to buy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sure, I mean even McCarthy after he won the won the Oscar for Spotlight, I don't think there was ever any interest in going back through his filmography and finding these hidden gems. It's a shame because My, I might be a part of the problem when it
1: comes to McCarthy because I have called that it, it won the uh you know emmy for best tv movie i don't don't think mccarthy has i don't think he's been shined up as an auteur in, in modern cinema unfortunately
0: no that's fair well i feel like his films and i haven't seen all of them but from what i can tell he allows his films to breathe in a way that i think most other filmmakers don't and that's a tricky thing because like we talked about Before, sometimes you just need to let the material speak for itself and not get in the way, kind of the way the Sam Raimi did for *A Simple Plan*, and that could be a detriment. There's not a lot of flashy sequences in this film. There are wonderful scenes. McCarthy uses visual motifs. Uh, The the one that really sticks out to me is where it's just a shot of the train track, and you have either Finn going to or away from the camera, and as the film progresses, you see more individuals in that shot, and there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the film that I feel like is just underappreciated. I mean, the film itself is underappreciated, but things like that, I, I really gravitate towards.
1: He does. I, while we were the, sort of thinking on that, you know, I, I didn't want to completely disparage the man who, you know, won his Oscar for Spotlight, but. Yeah, like The Station Agent, The Visitor. Um I don't know if you saw it. that was the follow-up to this, um uh, which I believe got some uh I think a nomination for Richard Jenkins for best uh uh acting. Um Win Win, which you already mentioned, uh starring your alter ego, The Cobbler, which with Adam Sandler, which I think was despised. I never saw it myself. Um And then Stillwater, which, you know, it's strange that it took 6 years after Spotlight for the the follow-up. That might be his biggest as far as like sort of the the look. Of course, it's still like this, you know, every man, this sort of middle America guy going uh, to, to save his daughter after she's committed a crime in another country. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that he's <laughs> – this is not a knock. He's got like a rider's eye. I think you're talking about letting the, the moment breathe. Um, I don't think he's concerned necessarily with the – that there always has to be something happening. Even, even the way that he casts or directs his performers or the choices they make based off the script. Like Peter Dinklage, one thing I love about the station agent, there's no need to react. Even you have uh, Bobby uh, Cannavale is constantly like you know, badgering him in a – friendly gregarious way yeah he his character doesn't feel the need to react in the sort of socially polite way of being agreeable just because that's the thing that would make it easier to to end this relationship um so you know if they're gonna go watch trains which i do think this is a much more loving look at watching trains and something like the train spotting which is titled as such but it's really not (laughs) really not about that that particular hobby um, and I, I think that he, you know, he writes characters that sort of fit the fit the visual language of a uh, McCarthy Tom McCarthy joint, which is just to to let the the actors uh, just sort of play through it. You know, very much like a like it's a stage play, but I wouldn't say that his films are stagey either. I just feel like they're
0: they're grounded. And that time in between, I think the dialogue, because while there, I mean, it's a movie, it's going to have dialogue in it, but the moments in between are the ones where the actors really get to uh, dig into their characters. You've got three different characters here um, that are front and center, and they're all damaged in their own way, or they're all dealing with something in their lives that they can't seem to escape. Obviously, Finn is a dwarf, and he. I don't want to say he resents the world, but he definitely closes himself off from it. And and like I said, his hobby it's it's super obscure to the point where, like, it's going to be hard for other people to join in on uh, the hobby and and become his friend. And so you need someone like a Joe who's will go all in on something like this with him. uh, Which he's like, there's no way anyone's going to do this. You know, and sure enough, he does. Olivia, her young son, has a sudden death. And uh, it broke my heart. He fell off the monkey bars, is what she says. And something as simple. And as a father now, watching this film after I I have a kid, it's, you know, it resonates with me just that little bit more. Or at least frightens frightens me uh, that much more. And so uh, she is... (sighs) <sighs> Closing herself off, I think, similarly to Finn, but not to that extreme because she still feels it's necessary to interact with the world. And Joe is the toughest one. Joe is still uh, has happy-go-lucky qualities to him, but he's dealing with the sickness of his father, and that's something that uh creates a familial responsibility for him, and he has to take over this food truck. And so maybe that's not something that he wants to do, because like you said— he, nothing happens in this town, but he's attached to it because he needs to do this for his father and also take care of him when he's sick. So the the culmination, like how these three damaged characters kind of find their way into each other's lives, it's, it's a slow burn and it's just so worth it. And those moments in between, like, oh my gosh, Patricia Clarkson, like the looks that she gives in between her dialogue especially with Finn the moments where she's watching you know the uh, the young boy playing soccer with Joe or uh, in between the the meal that they're having like hey we don't need to chat we can just quietly eat her food and the looks that she's getting, she's so talented it's just so this is such a meaty project for these actors and so I'm so happy that they were able to really uh, dig into this material sorry I'm just, like, it's just well, Patricia it's Clarkson gushing. also has
1: that, that sort of great ability to play play the quiet moments. She's really good in uh, Lars and the Real Girl, which is, uh, you know, a quirky – quirkier than this here uh, as far as like an indie film. Uh, you know, it's a, a man that has a relationship with a, a sex doll, like a, <laughs> a seemingly sweet platonic <laughs> relationship with a, a sex doll. Um, and I, th- I think even in, you know, in that film – she, her role is to engage this young man in conversation. Here, she's playing someone that really doesn't want to engage. She's not rude. I mean, I guess she's the, the meat cute, if you want to call it that, even though this is also a film about like friendship more than, than romance, you know, is that she twice almost runs over the character of Finn through <laughs> a distracted <laughs> yeah. driver. Um, I, I, you know, it, it's ultimately like a film about acceptance to me, but it's uh, you know that that has sort of like a positive connotation to it, which I think this film, uh, in a strange way, it tackles it uh, how uh, negative that acceptance can be as far as forming new uh, relationships or moving forward. Like they've all, to a certain degree, accepted their I won't say their lot in life because obviously Joe. You know, his father is ill, and he doesn't really reveal too much about that. He just reveals that's his reason for being there, like, in a professional capacity. But you have clearly Patricia Clarkson's character uh, doesn't really want to move forward. Like, she doesn't open herself up. It's not like she's, like, wandering the streets grieving openly, but she wants to remain in that that grief in her place. She'll conduct herself like with politeness and sweetness. But as soon as you invade that space or ask him a question, she'll reject you. And then I think with, you know, Finn is played by Peter Dinklage. You know, I I like that you brought up the hobby because it, I think it informs a lot of the characters, uh, here, like, you know, Bobby kind like that, that sense of responsibility. We, we get this, the brushstrokes of this character pretty quickly. That's like, okay, he wouldn't make this personal choice, but to him, there was no question that he's going to help out his father here in this, this time. Like, yeah, he doesn't really like it, but he's gonna make the best of it. <clears throat> and with Finn, you brought up this, this idea of these, looking at these hobbies that probably most people know nothing about, which I, I agree with you. I like movies where it's just about either someone doing a job that I get to invest in a world. That's like, I'm clearly never going to start up like a train collection. But when I get to peer into it, I'm like, huh, that's kind of interesting. Do you think that it's a shorthand for the character that he has chosen a hobby that doesn't really invite much in the way of other, other people? It's not going to be a broad sort of social scene if you're involved in an interest in trades. We get a look at, I'd say, a, an older. <laughs> like lonelier demographic of men that come in and watch these train movies before his sort of mentor and friend passes away. um Do you think that's like is that just a short writer's trick, or do you think it's like a a very informative look at his his sort of character, or both? I guess that that's his hobby is something that removes him from the world because he already feels removed
0: because the fact that he is a dwarf. I think it's both. It absolutely is both. I think, but it, it doesn't feel like a, a cheat to way- you. No, not at all. Uh, This seems like a very genuine thing, something I I feel like even I myself have done. I mean, I know that movies are obviously a very popular hobby, but I tend to look for the stuff that most people uh, either don't or I find myself championing films that other people might not have seen. Like I was talking to you about the Kung Fu stuff that I've gotten into recently or uh really into Italian giallo horror films that are like and I'm trying to champion them. So even myself, like while I don't feel as closed off obviously as much as Finn, I myself gravitate towards subgenres within this hobby that I'm like, well what where is the stuff for <laughs> that that's gonna make you work in order to uh, appreciate this and appreciate my love of it, and by result, appreciate me. So it's like uh, I'm creating those barriers, and I feel like that's exactly what the character is doing. I feel by like I'm the. Getting it
1: to train. If you are Finn, I am definitely Joe. Where it's like you know this is oh, a, 100%. A, little preview, a little preview of next month's trilogy where you're you're bringing up like hey we can do let's go off the beaten path and let's do this subgenre I'm like I don't know dude about Clint Eastwood and a monkey you ever seen that <laughs> 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 and we'll yeah. make it work so it's really like you know the show as it should be the podcast I'm talking about here is just a peek into the odd friendship between two men who both are really into movies and are trying to force
0: themselves into this, you know, the symbiotic relationship between the two of us. A 100%. The last thing I want to mention about this film, and maybe it's because we've seen Peter Dinklage for the past decade as Tyrion Lannister, but there are a lot of short jokes i guess like it really every character he runs into that isn't a main character in this film has to get in like a whoa this guy's tiny you know the the lady at the grocery store with the, taking a photograph of him um and and you know just kind of the general mockery that he's got to deal. even that bitch kid in the classroom towards the end <laughs> and i love how the school teacher shut it down right away with me outside right now love it don't even give him a chance yeah (laughs) but yeah did we need all of that and again i say that because i feel like we're used to uh peter Dinklage just crushing it on on a fairly regular basis at this point so watching this film now it definitely has that uh not cringe factor but like Again, it's it's the lens of 2022. It's like, yeah, whatever. Hmm. He's a dwarf. Let's move on. Yeah.
1: I hate to be the negative Nelly here because you, you sort of like uh, – you were showing me a preview of your notes and that was one of them. <laughs> I was like, yep. We need all of it. That's not going to change. And the, <laughs> the only reason I say that is because just from personal experience, I don't know if I've ever even met um, a, a dwarf like just walking around. So I, I mean – it's it's completely different than my wife's particular plight, but you know she's six one, which is taller than average for a woman. It's not extremely tall. She's not going to be you know, necessarily like in the WNBA or anything. But I do see you know she gets comments like, "Well, you're t-, like when people meet her, like, oh, you're really tall." Like that's the very like almost first thing that someone says, and it's not offensive necessarily. But I also see, you know, living in a college basketball town. Basketball town. When UK players that are, you know, going to the NBA, they're six, ten, seven feet tall. Uh, you're very aware of someone that just looks dramatically different from you in that way. That you're like, I'm seeing a famous person. Unfortunately for the character Finn, he's not famous, nor does he want <laughs> the attention of someone that's aspiring to right. to fame. Um, so yeah, I think. I don't think this one ages poorly. I just think that, unfortunately, for, for people that, that look dramatically different in that way, there's going to be, what would be the polite way to put it, unhealthy curiosity, maybe. You know, it's like, if you see a little bit with, with the character of Joe, that he kind of he knows possibly he may be crossing a line when he sort of asks questions about that so he's like you know he's trying to be like hey his buddies you know can i can i ask you and you know like oh god what's he what's he about to say (laughs) um and i i think that that's just something that uh unfortunately will will never never go away but um i think maybe if you're watching it just as a film It might play differently now because Peter Dinklage, I'm assuming in 2003, was just a character actor. And, you know, you really would have had to been in the know as far as like the sort of independent work he was doing. Uh, Maybe Elf, I think, came out later this year. That appearance uh, where he uh, comes in and beats up Will Ferrell. That might have been like the first like sort of big like thing. But um, certainly for Game of Thrones viewers and – after they've seen I mean they've seen much worse things than someone like calling him a dwarf <laughs> on Game of Thrones. Um it may feel a little bit like this is a bit much now, but I don't think so. I don't think upon its release, um and yeah, I'll just be I'll be that guy, um, uh, married to, you know, a tall woman, which is not the same thing, but I, I know I've witnessed that a lot just with with strangers. They feel like that's their that's sort of their like bumping elbows with her like that's what they're in to like buddy up to her and I'm like She's heard this a thousand fucking times. Like she's probably sick of fucking (laughs) hearing
0: (laughs) it. I'm glad that you mentioned the scene where uh, Joe asks Finn the personal questions about sex with uh, uh, normal height and and dwarf. Because that's another one where it's like, yeah, you need – you can't just meet somebody who's different and start asking those questions. But I'm glad that he felt comfortable because that's something that you would do. These are questions – that pop up in your head, whether they're uh, politically or, or I guess just in terms of general politeness, whether it's okay to ask or not. But I'm glad that he took the time to get to kind of know Fan a little bit more, and then is able to ask. Because I've had those same questions with uh, people who are different from myself. One of my best friends is gay, and he did not tell me that he was gay. We we've known each other since the fourth grade, and I remember when we first got facebook accounts because we finally got into college and that allows because back in those days we were you needed to have a an edu email account to have facebook and now it's the farthest thing from it
1: now you just need oh, conspiracy yeah. theories <laughs> and barely able to read <laughs> <laughs> certainly no reading comprehension needed to be a facebook
0: user these days none And yeah, it's so weird. I mean, you know, you think back and like you need to be in Harvard in order to. It's it's funny to. Like, I don't want to (laughs) say. Eh, whatever. Either way. (laughs) Some
1: people don't need certain tools. Like, (laughs) we're not that far from 2001 where (laughs) one of the apes picked up the bone and started clubbing another one in the head. (laughs) (laughs) Except with a mouse and cursor.
0: (laughs) One of the things on Facebook that you can do is. Your relationship status, you can list, and you can also list whether you're interested in men or women. If you're a man or a woman, and he said, "Like, oh look, I can say that I'm interested in men," and my response to that was, "Why would you want to do that?" And he took that as a sign of you're not ready to know I'm gay. And I was like, and he told me this later on. I was like, that was your barometer. We've known each other <laughs> since the fourth grade. I don't care <laughs> that you're gay. And so I got real mad at him when he finally did come out to me. <laughs> But anyways, like, once we crossed that threshold, and because we had already been friends for, damn, nearly over a decade at that point, I started, I was comfortable enough to the point where I was, like, asking, he became my gay avatar. I was like, what's going on in that realm sexually? And he would tell me about the different items that were used in intimate occasions. And I'm just riveted, fascinated, because, you know, it's a world that I'm never really going to uh, be able to for the lack of a better word, penetrate. And oh, I, you I... Are you sure you're not the <laughs> Joe character in this? <laughs> well, I am in this, yes, in this specific scenario. But I really, really appreciated that moment. And that's what this film is. It's so much more than just slice of life. I feel like even though you've got this niche hobby that... Is used in the script. Uh, you've got uh, somebody who is a dwarf. Uh, you've got somebody who's lost a child. All these different ingredients really do add up to something that I think anyone can sit there relate to and enjoy. This this is another we're, we're hitting uh, you know a hundred percent two for two this month. wonderful scenes where, uh, that, uh, become a, a visual, oh gosh, hold on. I, I have the right, uh, the word here. This is going to bug me. Um, not a visual trope, but what is it when in, in literature where you have like recurring, um, fuck, I, I, I think I'm so smart and I'm not, <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, it's a it's a completely different skill set uh, that uh, we are astoundingly good at, as far as uh, speaking off the the cuff um yeah i don't know like a motif what, or what, something i don't you know motif is exactly
0: the fucking word i was thinking <laughs> of god
1: i threw that off like i don't know motif i guess
0: <laughs> <laughs> no that's exact. that's literally the word that i'm like i can't it's not the so i'm gonna edit all this out so it may seem like i thought of it
1: as long as you keep this as a blooper where i'm like i don't know who gives a shit it's a motif <laughs> <laughs> deal